Second Peter chapter one. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are in you and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be more diligent to make your calling and your election sure. For if you will do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Years ago, when I lived in Southern California, I was invited one weekend to take a hiking trip. We went to Death Valley, and it's pretty dead in Death Valley. That's probably why they named it that. And as we were going up this canyon in Death Valley, I had a backpack on and it was loaded down, and we were ascending all the way. We were going uphill. And as we were going uphill, maybe for the first five, ten minutes, I enjoyed it. After that, it was getting old quick. And I wanted to give up. It wasn't fun anymore. I wanted to turn around and just go back home. But there was someone with me who was encouraging me. He said, Skip, just keep going. We're almost at camp. We're almost where we want to go. Just keep going. And he would help me along and encourage me. Well, this is what Peter is doing in this letter. He is writing to Christians, encouraging them to keep going, keep growing. Don't stop. Now, for Peter to do this, it's very significant, isn't it? Peter has come a long way in his walk with Jesus Christ. Peter was the one who always said stupid things. Peter was the one who denied his Lord. Peter was very impetuous, hot-headed. You know, I can really relate to Peter. Of all of the people in the New Testament, personally, Peter is one that I can relate to very well. Such a frail individual. Did a lot of dumb things that the Lord had to cover for. Peter loved Jesus but he was always struggling with the old nature. Now, what Christian can't relate with that? And so Peter has come a long way when he writes this epistle encouraging these believers. Peter's original name was Simon. And it's interesting what the word Simon means. I read this week, the word Simon means hearing, someone who hears, which is really interesting for Peter because he never listened. Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to go be crucified. What? And he never paid attention, and yet his name was Hearing. Well, Jesus changed his name to Peter, which meant a tiny, fragmented stone. He says, Peter, you think you're a big, massive rock. Let me tell you something. You're a tiny little stone, and you need my help very desperately. When Peter wrote this book, it was during the time of persecution when a man named Caesar Nero was wiping out the church, killing 
thousands, actually millions of Christians. And so the people to whom Peter was writing needed to hear these words. They needed to be encouraged. They needed someone to come alongside and say, hey, keep going, persevere. I know it's tough, but let me encourage you to continue in your walk with the Lord. So these people were being encouraged by Peter. The theme of this book is to keep growing in the Lord. Keep growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't stop now. Now, we're not going to read, obviously, the whole book, but a lot of the book deals with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people don't think that's an important subject to talk about. Oh, we don't need to discuss the second coming. We're looking too far ahead in the future. We just need to be concerned with now. Well, Peter's thought was this. If we can get Christians to live in the light of the soon return of Jesus Christ, what a powerful life they will live. Knowing that Jesus could come any day, any moment, really keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? I want to live for Jesus Christ. I want to share the gospel with people. Why? Because he can return any time. And that's so important. This doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ is not meant to make Christians lazy or to sit back and say, well, if the Lord's coming back in two years, I guess I don't need to go to school. I guess I don't need to pursue my career. Or I guess I can charge all sorts of things on my credit card since the Lord's coming back anyway, I won't have to pay for them. That's not the purpose of the second coming. It's to live a righteous, holy life in the light of Jesus' second coming. Keep in mind this as we go through this. This was not written to baby Christians necessarily. This book was written to people who have known the Lord for some length of time, and yet he's still telling them that they must add to their faith. Now, there's two parts to this that we want to look at today. The first is God's part, as far as our life and our growth is concerned. And the second is our part in our spiritual growth. You say, you mean I have to do something? Well, we'll see that in a minute. First, God's part, verses 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The first thing Peter talks about is the power that God has given us. In verse 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, God initiates salvation. He calls us, and then we respond. When we respond, we are technically saved. When we say, yes, I accept Jesus into my heart, I am saved, I'm born again, I embrace the teachings and the lifestyle of Christianity. I want to follow Jesus. Okay? With that, part of the deal is that God gives to Christians power. All of the resources necessary to live a full, rich strong, growing life in Jesus Christ. His divine power, it says in verse 3, has given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Now, do you realize what that means? 
That means that we can be as strong in the Lord as we want to. Jesus gave a parable of growth. And he said, some of the seed fell on good ground and it brought forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. But the truth is, is that you can bear fruit and be as strong as a Christian as you desire to be. There is absolutely no reason why every single one of us cannot be strong, powerful followers of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is saying. Jesus has given us power. Yes, we're saved. We've escaped the corruption in the world. But in verse 3, he has given us all of the resources of the power necessary to live that full, strong, growing, fruitful life. Now, there's only one hindrance to this. There's only one hindrance that keeps us from a rich, full, growing, mature life in Christ. Guess what it is? Us. It's not God. We can't always blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. It's us. Often we stand in the way of our own growth. We won't allow God to take us from one plateau to another. We just sort of hang around and stagnate in one particular place because it feels comfortable. But Peter says you can keep going. You can keep growing. You don't have to stop. He's given you the power to do that. I remember my first day of kindergarten. I remember it so well because it was probably the most traumatic day of my life. I didn't want to go. I wanted just to live at home the rest of my life. Hey, mom, how about if I just stay here and I'll go to school here and just clean up. I never want to go to school. Now, most kids love to go to school. I didn't. First day of school, I wanted to stay home. I cried the first week of kindergarten because I couldn't be with my mommy. Little mama's boy. I said, look, I don't want to grow up. But my mom encouraged me, hey, you've got to go on. You can't stay stay at home all your life, stay a four-year-old. You've got to go into kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, and third grade, and someday you're going to graduate. And someday you're going to go to college. And someday you've got to keep growing. And so she encouraged me to keep on going. And at that time, I didn't want to. But Peter said, God has given us everything that is necessary, in verse 3, everything that pertains to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. Now, you may be saying this morning, hey, I've tried. I've really tried to live a strong life. I've really tried to pursue Jesus Christ, to give Him all that I've got. But it doesn't work. Well, let me encourage you. Don't stop. Pick it back up. Come back to the Lord. Persevere. Even as Peter encouraged this early church who was going through opposition... Keep going. Don't stop. God has given you the power. There's absolutely no reason that you need to live that weak, defeated life. God has given you all the things. And then also, Peter says, on God's part, God has given us His promises. In verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. In other words... Peter is saying that God has promised individually and to all of us that we can keep growing and ascending in our walks with Jesus Christ. His divine power and God has given us His promises. Through these, we may be partakers of the divine nature. In other words, we're growing closer and growing more to be like God on a daily basis, or at least we should. God has given us the power to do that and He's given us the promises to keep growing in the Lord. 
Now, promises are only as good as the one who keeps them, aren't they? There's some people who promise you this and that and you just know, yeah, right. They'll never pull through. There's people who have a reputation and say, yeah, I'll be there right on time. I'll never miss. I'll be there. And you just know they're not because they have a track record of just never keeping their word. So a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. Remember when you were a kid and you could never trust the other kid? So he'd say, I promise. And you'd say, cross your heart. Yeah, I cross my heart. Hope to die. Yeah. Do you cross your heart, hope to die, hope to spit? Yeah, I'll do anything. I swear. On my mother's honor. And we go through all this little rigmarole. Double cross your heart and all this sort of jazz. Why? Because you know that the person isn't going to pull through. You're sort of binding it a little heavier each time. Well, God has made His promise, according to Peter, to us. That we can be partakers of the divine nature. I believe that you can always tell how well a person knows his God by how he treats the promises of God. Whether the person is always down and fretting and broken and always in turmoil, or if that person is standing on the promises of God and applying those promises, you can always tell how well a person knows the Lord. It's very easy. Just watch what he does with God's promises. Does he stand on them? Do they work in his life? I remember a time in my life that God showed me this. I was broke. I couldn't pay rent. My guitar got stolen. All of life came crumbling down upon me. And during this time, the Lord said, I'm going to always be with you. I'll never leave or forsake you. And I would read the scriptures daily and I'd come up with some beautiful promises of God's provision. But I would still get worried. I don't know how you're going to pull through, God. I can't figure this thing out. How are you? Now, God, if you would have only done this last week, and it could have been all right. And I fretted and I worried. I didn't believe God. One day, looked in my mailbox. I needed about $215. Looked in my mailbox, and my income tax check was in my mailbox. I opened it up, and it was $222. And I said, praise the Lord. The government came through. <laughs> and I began to rejoice and thank God. And God just sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, wait a minute. How do you know that they're going to pay you 225 Well, it says right here. They've signed it. Some official signed his name. It's got it stamped in official purple government ink. Oh, I know they'll pull through. I've got it in, in writing. I go down to the bank and they'll honor it. God said, yeah, but you've had my promises all along. You've had my word in writing right before you every single morning. I told you that I was going to provide for you and you didn't believe me, but you're so willing to believe the government because it's in writing. And I didn't treat the promises of God very well. God has given, Peter said, exceeding great and precious promises. To us as Christians. A fearful, downtrodden Christian speaks very loudly to me of one who does not know the Lord. Now let me balance that out by saying we're not always performing our peak before the Lord. We're not always rejoicing in, in, all the time. There's times where we're down and we doubt. But on an even keel, our life should be reflecting, if we really know the Lord, one who takes these precious promises and can stand upon them, can apply them can say, God had said it, 
That's fine for me. That's all I need is God's word. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he told me he would. I don't need to counsel him. I don't need to tell him how he should work. He'll do it. Exceeding great and precious promises. The promises of God, the Bible that you have in your hand, it's not an ornament just to be underlined. One of the great evangelists asked a lady one time, Ma'am, what do you with the, what do you do with the promises of God? She said, I underline them in yellow. Well, that's wonderful. But what else do you do with them? You can underline them in technicolor, but if you don't apply them, they are just words that have no effect. You see, standing and taking these promises of God doesn't mean that we carry a Bible around that's well marked where we underline it and we have little notes on the side. It's not how you mark your Bible, it's how the Bible you have marks your life. You can quote Scripture, but we need to live Scripture. So God has given us, one, His power and His promises that we can keep growing and have a full, mature Christian life. He says in verse 4, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these we may be a partaker of the divine nature, notice, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, verse 4 really describes every Christian. Every single Christian is in verse 4. Having escaped the corruption of the world. We're saved. Every single Christian has escaped the world. We're saved. But that's only a start. Salvation is more than an altar call. It's more than coming forward with tears and hands raised. Now, that's part of it, and that's beautiful. And we encourage that. But that's not all it is. That's only a beginning. I love to see people receive Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see new life, new spiritual life. As people raise their hand or their hearts get touched by God and they go, I want to receive Jesus Christ. It's so important. But you know what excites me even more? Is people who maintain that commitment. Their hands are raised all the way through their life. They maintain that commitment. They're deeply rooted and grounded in the Lord. Not just someone who's raised a hand and come forward and carries a Bible, but someone whose life is reflecting the glory of God. They're being rooted and grounded in the Word of God. When I was a baby, well, my dad and mom told me that I was a beautiful baby. But they always say you, you start out beautiful, you don't end up that way. And every now and then when I go visit them, they show me these little baby pictures. I really thought I looked ugly. But they show me all these baby pictures. And every stage of my life, from the diaper stage on, they had all these pictures of me. And it's sort of fun to look back. And it's fun. Parents get a kick out of their kids, don't they? Sometimes. We love to see that new life. But there's a point when you want that child to grow up. When I first said, Dad, Dad, Mama, they were excited. Now, if I call them up on the phone today and said, Hi, Mama, Dad, Dad, home, they're not going to be too excited. 
Hopefully, I progress from the baby stage and I'm growing. And as a Christian, we need to keep growing. Yes, we've escaped the corruption in the world, but we need to keep growing. I used to work in a hospital and one of the saddest things that I've ever seen is malformed minds and bodies. Bodies who have never really developed. Minds who really stay infantile. It's sad. It happens a lot of times in this world. Say, oh, that it's so sad to see a never really a full development in their life. And you know, it's also very sad to see Christians who spiritually have malformed Christian lives. Oh, they've known the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years, but still never growing. Peter's encouraging them. God has given you power. God has given you promises that you can keep going. Now, how do we do that? The answer is found in verses 5 through 10. This Now we get to our part of the deal. This is where human responsibility comes in. God has acted. Now it's our turn. You go, wait a minute. You mean I have to do something? You sure do. Not to be saved. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. But for spiritual growth, oh yes. There's a lot of things that Peter says that we must be doing. First he says in verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. For what reason? He says, for this reason, for your spiritual growth, for a full mature life in the Lord, because God has given you promises and power. Now for this reason, and then he gives us a list of additives for our Christian faith. He says, now add these things. And this is very important. There are additives to your life with God. You know how on the market on commercials, there's always one commercial trying to outdo the other commercial. Our burger's better. Our toothpaste is better because we have this special additive that nobody has. And then the next guy comes out and goes, well, they might have this attitude, but additive, but we have the additive too. And we also have another additive that no one else has. So they're trying to convince you that their product's better than all the other products. Well, there are additives to our Christian life. There are additives to our faith that make what I call turbocharged faith. Yes, we all have a relationship, but we can have additives to our faith. And the list is verses 5 through 8. The additives that we can bring alongside of our faith. And this is exciting and this should really encourage us in our walk. Now, we could all go after service today and go have a bite to eat. We want to eat because our body needs the energy. Now, we could go out and have a meal with no spices, no salt, no pepper, just bland food, tasteless kind of food. And it would serve the purpose. Biologically, our bodies would be strengthened. We could go on. But that's no fun. When you eat, you want to enjoy it, don't you? So you add a little spice, sauces, green chilies. Because you want it to be fun. You want to enjoy it. You want to have the additives in the food so that you say, boy, I love it when you make food like that. And you put those sauces and those additives in there. So the point here is that we go beyond the stage we're at with the Lord and put additives into our faith that we might grow even more. He says in verse 5 what we should do. He says, but for this reason, giving all diligence. Stop right there. I want you to underline or memorize that word diligence. It's very important. You know what the word diligence in Greek means? 
It means to exert yourself. It means to exert yourself or to apply oneself. Now, this word is very important because it's also used in verse 10. And notice how it's used. Therefore, brethren, even be more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Exert yourself to make your calling and election sure. For if these things, if you do these things, you will never stumble. And the Greek says, you will never stumble or fall or even make a slip. Never stumble? Never even make a slip? That's what he's saying. If you can apply and add, he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's saying if you can add, you'll build up your faith where you won't be stumbling back and forth and being beat up between the world and your Christian faith. If you apply these things, you will never stumble, fall, or even make a slip. You see, diligence. It's not just a casual attitude we're to have with our walks with God. Well, if I'm in the mood, I'll grow and I'll do this whenever I feel like it. No, that's not the attitude. A lot of people do have that attitude. Sort of like going on a diet. Have you ever seen people with such a casual attitude? They diet when they're not hungry. That's not too hard to do. Or else they'll diet for two days and they get so excited that they dieted that they pig out for three days. I've got the perfect diet plan. Here it is. Write it down. You've got to eat a whole lot less and exercise a whole lot more. We're always looking for magic shortcuts and pills that will shrink our stomachs, close our mouths so we won't have to eat. The secret is you just expend more energy and eat less. That's how you lose weight. There's no magic formulas. In the Christian faith, there's no magic formulas. You don't take a pill and all of a sudden you're a strong Christian or read a scripture verse and you're a strong Christian or go to a church service and all of a sudden you're strong. You must give diligence, exert yourself, apply yourself, and then these things will be at work in our lives. Now, as we go through this list, if you can look at this list and check them off and say, yeah, I do this and I've done that and I'm all there, well, then you might as well close your Bibles and go home right now. We can't help you. You're perfect. In fact, you might as well be in heaven and not around here. But for the rest of us, I look at this list and I say, oh man, I need to apply that. So first, let's read through the list. Giving diligence or exert yourself. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, he says, concerning these virtues, we are to add. See, this is where the additives come in. We add to our faith virtue. You know what the word add means? It means to lavishly, lavishly add or lavishly supply. To supply more than enough. So often we say, well, I don't need that. Paul says, or Peter says, add more, lavishly supply these things in your faith. So you have love? Well, great. Bring more love. So you have knowledge? Bring more knowledge. You have virtue? Bring more virtue. More than enough. What if someone came to your house? You just bought a house and they looked at your house and go, boy, this is a real nice home you have here, but have you ever thought about decorating it? I mean, it looks pretty ugly. 
Have you ever thought about just spending lots of money and getting it wood paneled and just nice expensive furniture? You say, well, yeah, it'd be nice, but I don't have any money. And just then he pulls out a wad of money. And he says, listen, I love you so much. I want you to decorate your house lavishly. Money is no object. Don't be thrifty. Just make sure it looks the finest. You go, all right. Can get that water bed I always wanted. Those 15 foot speakers for my stereo that I always wanted. <laughs> Nuclear powered. <laughs> Blast the neighbors out. Money's no object. Buy anything you want to. Just make sure your home is the best. That is the idea that Peter is saying here. Lavishly supply these things in your life. Because in verse 3 it says God has given us all of the resources necessary to have a mature walk with the Lord and the promises. He's got the dough. He's given us all the power to live a godly life. So lavishly supply. Make your aim in life to have the finest Christian character. The finest, most attractive spiritual life with God. A godly life. God's given you the promises. He's given you the power. Now lavishly supply these things in your life. Okay? He says, add or lavishly supply to your faith virtue. Or literally, have a virtuous faith. What does he mean by virtue? It could be better translated, supply your faith with energy. Or have faith that works. Energetic faith. See, it really doesn't do us any good, does it, to have faith that doesn't do anything. It doesn't do us any good to have faith that isn't producing anything. My dad is notorious for having so many things and cars and tools around the house and property, and they don't work. But someday I'll fix them, honey, you see. Someday I'll get to that project. But, honey, it's been 35 years and the car's still there. Someday. Doesn't do any good unless it's working. Doesn't do any good to have this faith and trust unless it's working and it's energetic. It's virtuous faith. So, supply to your faith virtue. This energetic faith. How? How do we do that? By exercising our faith. Your faith is like a muscle. If you never exercise your body or your muscles, you'll be a wimp like me. Scrawny little arms. But if you exercise your muscles and you pump iron and you know you get to be like Mr. T, your muscles will get bigger. When the faith that you have is exercised and you step out and believe the promises of God, that faith will begin to get stronger and bigger and stronger. And you'll be able to believe God and trust God for other things, other areas of your life. So we do it by exercising our faith, by applying God's word. So lavishly supply at any cost faith. Add virtue. And to virtue, it says, add or lavishly supply knowledge. Jesus said, learn of me. Learn of me. It is important, I think, we need to be knowledgeable in the things of God. We need to be knowledgeable in the Bible. Isn't it amazing that we carry this book around us, with us, everywhere we go? A lot of us carry it, and a lot of us don't even know what's in it. Increase in knowledge, he says. You know, we have such an advantage in this country to know what God's will is for us and to know God's word, and yet often we're just so lax about it. 
In China, there are pastors who have never once seen a whole copy of the Bible. These are people who are teaching flock. They've never even seen a whole copy of the Bible. They have pages that people have given them ripped out of their Bible and they pass them around so that people can read that portion of Scripture. They don't have one copy of their own. And yet, you know, look at the versions we have in the United States. You can get any version you want, any binding you want, red letter, green letter, underline version, wide margin version. You can get it on cassette tape if you don't want to strain your eyes and read. You just plop it into your tape deck. We have such advantages. Pretty soon we'll probably have Bible videos. Call it BTV or something. We have such advantages of the Word of God in our country. We all have a copy of the Bible. We all have given to us this precious promises and we have the knowledge of God at our access. But this word knowledge means knowledge by experience. You see, God doesn't want us just to be filled with knowledge and know theology and know all about the Bible. God wants us to be filled with the experience of the knowledge that we have. Not just to quote the Bible, but to live the Scripture, to apply the Scripture. So we should be adding this experimental knowledge, this knowledge by experience, this practical knowing God. So, let's go through that list. Giving all diligence or exerting ourselves, let us lavishly supply energy, virtue to our faith, and to virtue, this experimental knowledge. Now we're on the way. Talking about a person who's saved, who's lavishly adding energy. He's applying the things that he hears, but there's more. Verse 6. And to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. Self-control literally means to take a grip of oneself. To take a grip of yourself. Self-control. Athletes often exercise self-control. And Paul uses this word a lot of times in referring to the Christian life being like an athlete. Let us exercise, he says, self-control. Now, when an athlete trains, and we're at the time of the Olympics now, when an athlete trains and he goes out on that forum to compete, he has one goal in mind. That's to win the gold. He wants to win. He just says, well, you know, I'd like to participate in the Olympics, just have a good time. He's out there to win. It's a competitive sport. And so, there's certain things that he does do and doesn't do. He has to exercise self-control. He can't eat as many Snickers as he used to. He has to eat more vitamins now. He has to exercise his body often to the point of pain. No pain, no gain. And so, he has to exercise self-control. What Peter is saying is that we should take a grip of ourselves in self-control and we should have control over our passions and our desires. We should no longer let the flesh or the appetites of the flesh rule us. They shouldn't control us anymore. Now, that means that there's going to be times when you're going to just have to say no to certain things because we all get tempted. And, you know, none of this business of, oh, the temptation was just too tough. You're just going to have to say no sometimes. We're just going to have to exercise self-control and not allow certain things to come in and make choices toward other things. Self-control. Not letting the appetites of the flesh control us. So, here's someone who has a faith and he's lavishly adding to his faith virtue. Lavishly adding to his virtue knowledge. And to his knowledge, self-control. Saying no to sin. Now it says this. And to self-control, 
Perseverance, which means courageously enduring. We must persevere. Now, this was important to the Christians that Peter was writing because they were going under tremendous trial and persecution. Many of them were being slaughtered right and left by the Roman government. And they needed this word of encouragement. Hang in there. Just persevere. Courageously endure for the Lord. Add that alongside of your faith. Lavishly supply perseverance. Set your mind and set your heart at a goal and don't be swayed from that goal no matter what the opposition is. That is what perseverance means. Now, this is a tough one because this speaks of the Christian under pressure. And isn't it harder to maintain that commitment for the Lord under pressure to persevere? To still have that committed life toward Jesus Christ? You know, our country is marked by lack of commitment. If there's anything that I see in the breakdown of the American society, it's lack of commitment. People just are not committed to things. Look at marriages. One out of two marriages end in divorce. That's half. Excuse me. More than one out of two is the statistic. Commitment is so waning, is so lacking. Perseverance. True grit. The Christian under pressure. So we should lavishly add this perseverance. Enduring. I remember going back to my Death Valley days. On that hiking trip, as I was persevering, there reached a point where I just thought, also, I thought, this is stupid. I'm not even having fun. I don't care if this is good for me. I don't want to do it. I want to go back. And my friend says, Skip, just hang in there. And you know what I noticed? As I hung in there a little bit longer, it got just a little easier. Sort of like this little hump I had to go over. My muscles, my shoulders are throbbing with pain. My legs are aching. I didn't think it was worth it, but he said, hang in there. And as I kept going a little longer and a little longer, the pain was less and less. Pretty soon it was getting a little easy. And as I saw the camp ahead, I said, oh, this is exciting. Now, there's a point in your Christian life and serving God where it's going to hurt, where you need to persevere. Your old nature will scream out in agony. saying, no, don't do this. Take the easy way. Turn back. Go back to the flesh. And so we need to lavishly supply perseverance. And it says this. To perseverance, godliness, which means, we've covered that before in studies, to be more like God. We should be becoming more like Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. This is that phileo love, that brotherly love that we share. And to brotherly kindness, love. That is deep, committed, agape love toward each other. You say, yeah, but I already love people. Okay, well now lavishly supply love. More than enough. Decorate your spiritual life so that it looks the finest for God. Verse 8, For if these things be are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word abound means superabound, to overflow. If these things are overflowing in your life, superabounding, you will be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There was a farmer who hired someone to take buckets full of grain and to load them onto his truck. But the helper was taken a lot longer and his batch was just a lot slower. And the farmer looked over and he only filled the buckets up three quarters of the way full. The farmer said, listen, Sonny, those buckets are never full until they're overflowing. 
And our Christian lives are never full until it's overflowing. If these things are in you and overflow or superabound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this word barren means? It means useless or doesn't work. If these things are in you and abound, you won't be useless. You won't be able to say the Christian life doesn't work. How many people have you heard say that? Oh, I've tried Christianity. You know, it just doesn't work for me. I'm glad it works for you. I'm real happy for you that you're a Christian, but that just doesn't work for me. No, that's not true. You didn't do anything. That's why it didn't work. You didn't apply yourself to it. You just probably sat back and that was it. No, you must lavishly supply these things and keep growing and keep going. Don't stop. And if you do that, you'll never ever be able to say the Christian life doesn't work for me. It will work because you're applying the promises and the power of God. In a country of so many churches and religious dropouts, we need to hear this. We need to persevere and to add these things. There's so many spiritual casualties. They've tried it for a little bit and they just sort of dropped out. But if these things be in you, you never have to drop out. If these things be in you and abound, super abound. Now it says in verse 9, but he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to the point of blindness and has forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. This word is a medical word. Speaking of someone who is so short-sighted that he can't see ahead of him or behind him. And it's speaking of a voluntary blindness. Someone who has deliberately shut their eyes. Who deliberately doesn't want to see. He who is lacking these things has deliberately closed his eyes. He is just like me the first day of kindergarten. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to go to school, Mom. Deliberately closing your eyes. Isn't it interesting? You go to a scary movie and then there's a scary part and everybody closes their eyes. You know, all the guys go, all right. All the girls go, oh no. Gross. You know, I thought, you know, you pay four bucks to go to a movie and then you close your eyes on the parts that you went to see. And he who lacks these things has closed his eyes. Blind, short-sighted to the point of blindness. In other words, the person who will not continue to grow in Jesus Christ is can't see behind him what the Lord has done for him and can't see ahead of him because he's deliberately chosen to just sort of stay there and stagnate. But if these things be in you and abound, you'll have a fruitful life in Jesus Christ. And verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be more diligent. Exert yourself, apply yourself to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, if you apply yourself to these things, you will never fall, stumble, or even make a slip. For so an entrance, verse 11, will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you get that? An abundant entrance. You know, that's how I want to enter heaven. I don't want to enter heaven on the skin of my teeth. I want an abundant entrance. I just don't want to maintain my Christian walk. I want to grow in it. I want an abundant entrance. I want a red carpet. I want the doors to swing open and, and a rejoicing. Not, oh, here, he, here comes Skip. He just barely made it. No, I don't want to do that. I want to make it abundantly. I want to have an abundant entrance. Now, as we go through this list of things, as we have covered these things, you might look at this and go, man, this looks like a super saint. I mean, all of these virtues in his life. You know what? It's not. That's a normal Christian. This is what the Bible says that Christians should do. 
God has given us power and God has given us all the promises. He's given us all the resources to lavishly decorate our spiritual lives. So let's lavishly add, spare no expense, exert ourselves and add virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, love, kindness. Let's do that. It's not a super thing. It is normal. I find it interesting how we often talk about each other and it reflects our spiritual lives. I heard a story one time where a pastor introduced to another pastor one of his deacons. He goes, hey, pastor so-and-so, I want to, I want to introduce you to a good deacon of mine. And he says, well, why do you call him a good deacon? Oh, well, he's always faithful. He's always on time. He's always there to help out. He's always behind me. The other guy said, that's a normal deacon. That's what the Bible says they should be like. But it so often is that our spiritual life in the church, especially in America, has so dropped off that when we see something normal, we go, wow, exceptional. But if these things be in you and abound, you'll have a fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a normal Christian life. Fruitful relationship, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We should give diligence. We should apply ourselves, exert ourselves. Paul said, I press toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I press. I exert myself. I put out energy for my Christian life. And why not? We put out energy in everything else. We put out energy in making ourselves look good in the morning before we go somewhere. We put expend energy when we go to work so that we can eat physically. Why not expend energy spiritually? Why not make sure that our spiritual lives are decorated with such virtues and growing to such an extent that we have a fruitful mature walk with God. That's exciting. This is normal, not just for super saints, but for every Christian, God has given us promises and power. One of the most exciting things that I've ever seen is couples who are in love. Especially couples who are older and who are just so in love with each other. Out in public, they hold hands. He'll give her that embrace or that touch. He's not afraid to express his love to her and vice versa. And they're even in their twilight years and they, they like, like they're dating again. That intimacy. And how sad it is to see couples who start out, you know, she wants to impress him and she gets her hair done and the clothes and in the dating relationship, it's just doing everything you can to impress the person. And then after the I do's, then they start saying, I don't. I won't. I can't. And all of a sudden, they get back from that intimacy of loving each other and going out of the way and exerting themselves to please each other to just, well, we're married now. No big deal. We'll just maintain it. Oh, how sad. Man, I want to keep my marriage hot. We'll drop out. Father, we come before you this morning and our prayer is That we could take these promises and apply them in our hearts. Because you've given us the tools, the resources, the power to live lives that you've called us to. You love us so much and you never just told us to do something. You always told us what to do and then gave us the equipment to do those things. Father, I pray, first of all, for every believer in this room. All who have gathered to worship your name this morning, that as we seek to please you because we're in love with you that our lives could take on that maturity that we've never seen before. That we would exert ourselves and apply ourselves. That we would go out of the way 
to please you. Father, I also pray right now, and we all agree, for those who don't know you this morning, who have never made a commitment, who have never stepped out and say, you know, I want to follow God now. I've come to that point in my life, I'm tired of playing church or religion, or I'm tired of living in the sin of the world, and I just want to accept what